Welcome, everybody, to the Longhorn Republic, your source for Texas Longhorn news, sports, and opinions with a bit of snark built in. We are a podcast at Burn Orange Nation, and you can find more great Texas Longhorn content over at burnorangenation.com. If you like what we do, please leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. Hope to get the show out there. Share this with your friends. Maybe you found out whether it was Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, anywhere where you find fine podcast content. You can find Kyle and myself. Connect with us on social media at Longhorn Pod on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, the Longhorn Republic. Or shoot us an email, longhornrepublicpod at gmail.com. My name is Gerald Goodridge. I'm your host this week, like I am every week. And I'm joined by a man who has made all of the conclusions from the spring game, Kyle Carpenter. Kyle, how are you? Yeah, I pretty much have the whole season mapped out. Wins, losses, uh, exact stats, starters. Uh, we know all of that from from that uh, glorified practice that had cameras. Uh, well, actually, you know what, Gerald? I saw enough about Longhorn legend Walter Cronkite uh, during that, that spring game to know exactly what I need to know about this team. It was, it was knocking the rust off for everybody, not just for the players, but for the production crew at LHN. Like, we know people that do production at LHN. We've done TV production. And love them. Yes. Like, let's... let's They're incredible people. Yeah. They're incredible people. They work really hard. You and I have done live TV production, so we, we know it's hard. And, and like... Yes, I am. I think people are rightfully frustrated with the fact that like they couldn't get all of the stuff on TV. But it seems like the weird format is what caused that. It's not necessarily their fault. They did like practice periods, and then they did like the scrimmage at the end, which was just weird. Yeah, look, you're you're right. I don't blame Longhorn Network. They had a a, a schedule, and Sark had his own schedule, and uh, there is one of those that will win every time, and it's the. the head football coach. So uh, you you will defer and and flex around his schedule. You could tell everyone was a bit, uh, was flowing, right? Everyone was flexible. Uh, and sometimes that can be the most difficult thing to do in any medium, but, but TV certainly. So yes, I agree. Not Longhorn Network's fault per se. Um, you just, you know, those are those things that you hope are all ironed out. You know, by the time we get to week one, it'll be a well-oiled machine with a script and there will be no wiggle. I mean, it's it's significantly easier to do an actual football game production because like there's a guy that's down on the sidelines with his arms up to tell you when it's time <laughs> to take a TV timeout. So like significantly easier to do that than it is to do uh, a weirdly structured scrimmage because Texas didn't have enough uh, healthy offensive linemen. We are here to talk about uh, spring football, but we're going to talk about quite a bit. Texas had a big weekend on campus. Uh, obviously, we had the spring game-ish, we'll call it. Uh, Texas baseball put the bats in the boots to the Baylor Bears. We have not one, but two conference championships to talk about. All of the, all of the, all of the sports this weekend. We'll close the show out with some bang the drum. And we'll be back on Thursday for uh, a fun little uh, interlude show that Kyle and I have planned for you. So, Texas played football. There were pads, there were lights, there were cameras, there was action. They played some football. Uh, spring comes to an end for them. Texas went with a, a, a different format for the uh, for the spring game time because, well, they didn't have necessarily enough healthy offensive linemen, and we'll talk more about that in just a minute. But there was a lot of good, there was a lot of bad. But but Kyle, I think the biggest story of the spring game is that there really isn't much of a story to be told. People are trying to extrapolate stuff from <laughs> limited data sets, but I don't think we learned anything new about anything coming out of this game. Gerald, you've got the wrong perception of the spring game. If, if our if our brethren, little brethren, I should say, have taught us anything, Texas A&M did, this was our first victory of the season. We are now 1-0. Uh, we won the spring game. You know, that's great. Uh, defense, in fact, won it. Uh, so that's great. Um, but no, I, you're right. It, 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 even if this wasn't a weird format, it would be hard to extrapolate. I mean, last year was was hard to extrapolate. Every year, pretty much, there's uh, certain unknowns that don't get solved. But I understand the human instinct to extrapolate and and uh, and find narrative in, in anything and 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 to to make decisions based on that. That's fine, and, and I get it. And there were some things that we saw, and and we'll talk about those. I think we can go with our old good, bad, the ugly format and see how we feel about that but i mean just from 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 the off right like there were some players who weren't there yet there are some players who may be coming still uh there were some players who were held out there was some you know uh some injuries and some some other things and so um even if you you watch that and you have an exact read on what this team is it will look different uh come week one it will look different 
probably quite different come week seven, right? Like, it, you know, this is this is early, early times. This it, Steve Sarkeesian talked about the phases. Winter was phase one. This wrapped up phase two. Like, this is the end of the spring session. You can we made it into a glorified thing, but it's just a scrimmage to celebrate the end that we put on TV. Um, and, and then you have summer conditioning phase three, and then you have a season. So. Um, we're halfway there, I guess, is, is how you would you would look at it if you use Sark's logic. And the other thing is, remember, uh, this is is literally a, a zero-sum game. If the offense looks good, that means the defense looks bad. If the defense looks great, that means the offense is struggling. Uh, when there's no opponent, the, the, the team that you're beating uh, is your own also. So it, it is tough sometimes to make judgments of, well, does this group look bad or does this group look great? Or maybe it's maybe it's a 50-50 of both. But So let's, let's talk about it, Gerald. What do you think? I think both quarterbacks looked much better when they were behind the first team offensive line playing against the second team defensive line. I think that's like the like there's not much to really take away from it. I think we we saw what we knew we were going to see. I think the running back room looked incredible. Jonathan Brooks made an incredible one of my favorite runs of the day outside of Roshan's touchdown. I think was Jonathan Brooks mm-hmm. kind of catching an edge and making a guy miss and uh, getting in there. The wide receivers looked great. Isaiah Nayer is exactly who we thought he was. Jaleel Billingsley is who we thought he was. Jatavian Sanders. Is, is looking like a five-star finally. I think uh, a lot of people were concerned that the tight end over defensive end move was going to cost him money, but maybe it won't. We'll see how it shakes out in a couple years. You know, Quinn Ewers looked like Quinn Ewers. He had some incredible throws with some incredible arm angles. He also looked like a freshman quarterback, making some dumb decisions and forcing some bad passes and making some bad decisions. He also made some really smart decisions, killing a screen, throwing it into the ground, and those types of things. We say this every year when there's a quarterback battle. If he came out of the spring game with a cemented idea about what the team's going to look like next year, then you probably went into the spring game with a cemented idea about what the game was going to look like next year. But it validated a lot of what we thought. Hudson Card very talented. That was one of my favorite things about uh, the spring game is watching people like in real time remember that like, oh yeah, Hudson Card was like the number 52 player in the country his senior year. Oh yeah, that kid is talented. Uh, playing behind an offensive line and being able to play well um, and he has the advantage of knowing the offense better than Ewers. Like, that's the great equalizer. Ewers may be more talented but Hudson Card has an extra year of, of college football under his belt and an extra year in the system. And coming off of a, a big injury is senior year you know there's a big offseason leap that's that's happened that's not surprising either right the, the more years you have uh just in in general but certainly in the same system that the, the more it clicks that's that's an age-old tale the same way that again Quinn Ewers not really playing at Ohio State uh, going early you know it is like a true true freshman you know realistically where his development is all those things are true I think you're right that that I think Texas has uh, some places where they they have uh, good depth, right? It's, it's good to have two options, um, you know, as, as opposed to zero options. I think both Card or Ewers would, at their ceiling, could be a top three quarterback in the Big Twelve. I, I legitimately believe that. Um, I, I do personally believe, and I think you saw it from the throw, right? And as it's been called, capital T, the capital T throw. Um, and and the nice thing is, is we'll get you know like four solid months just to. Look at that throw over and over and over again um, and talk about it repeatedly. And that's fine. Um, But that throw was special. I mean, that was something we haven't seen probably since Shane Bouchelle, right? Like, no no knocks on my guy Ellinger, who I love, the Ellen God. But, you know, the deep ball was the weakest part of his game, especially he kind of regressed. Uh, his body took more licks and he beefed up to uh, to take the, the, the brutality of what was required of the quarterback in that offense. Um, so, I, I mean... It was a pure throw in uh, windy conditions, you know, and and with all expectations. And he went out and did the thing that he did. Um, you talked about the, the second offensive line, and obviously we all knew that would be a problem. I was a little bit concerned with the second receivers because I think Quinn probably connects if you have um, a receiver who's more ready and, and goes out and gets that first pass of the game with the second unit. Um, you know, it was... Uh, it was uh, Dejan uh, Harrison, and, and I thought, um, you know, if that was Xavier Worthy, if that was uh, what we saw from from uh, Nayor, who, who looked great, uh, if that was, you know, uh, Jordan Whittington, I think they, they catch that ball. And so he got two deep balls, I, I, you know, and, and there was a throw that Ewers made where, you know, he, he put it in the end zone leading a guy and it was, it was overthrown, but you want that overthrown versus underthrown when you have a, a cornerback on you, right? Those are passes that in the past, big 12 cornerbacks have made plays on because our guy tried to squeeze it in a little closer in the window. I, I think 
Ewers, that's where you see the pure quarterbacking upside. He knows the windows. He's still through interception, don't get me wrong. But on the deep ball, he knows where to put it, where his guy can get it. He knows that he has the arm and he trusts it. And and I think that's probably the difference. You, you heard him talk about Hudson Carr's tendency to get on his tiptoes and try to kind of squeeze it in still a little. He's got arm talent. He's He's got mobility, as we saw. Uh, and hopefully that'll be unleashed a little bit. So there, there's strengths there. But, um, you know, again, that throw was special. Um, I, I actually love the RPO throw to Worthy as well. Um, but yeah, I, I think the receivers, I think you saw why they went out and we talked about it on our podcast last week and got uh, a Jai Hall, right? I think... Um, I, I love Washington as a fifth wide receiver and a guy who um, blocks on like a, a bunch set. I, I love him there. I don't necessarily love him as one injury away from from having to get a bunch of of reps because he, he even though he had some good plays, had some drops. Uh, other than that, the receivers didn't show me anything that the, the top three looked good. Um I, I thought Worthy looked looked good. He did have a drop, which you know he's he's human too. But I love that Brendan Marion had him doing push-ups for it, but he looked good. I, I think they they pulled both you know what you have in wit and 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 x but they pulled them back and just let nayer go out and man he he had a great block uh on, on an outside that i that i loved his frame just looks nfl ready like they can just an nfl coach is looking at that saying i can put a little muscle here i could do that i mean he just looks like he has uh a, a huge playmaker's kind of body and frame and and good hands and good speed and good separation all the things that were advertised um so i'm i'm legitimately excited on on the top end of of our pass catchers well, and I mean, I think you're going to see a lot of two tight sets from Sark out of this offense. Mm-hmm. So I think really the rotation is going to be pretty solid and, and you won't. I, we saw it last year where they kind of really want to run out of tight end sets and two tight sets. And especially now that they have Sanders and Billingsley both who seem mm-hmm. like they're actual football players mm-hmm. at tight ends. No, no. I mean, maybe it is shots at Andrew Becker, whoever. Right. But like um, those two guys are, are guys that I think can come in and carry the load. And I think you're absolutely right. Like a Jai Hall is going to come in and, and be able to play more. Jordan Whittington's going to come in and be healthy. And so that wide receiver room is going to continue to get better. And, and you and I talked about it a lot last year, Texas's third down percentages mm. drastically dropped when Jordan Whittington yep. got hurt. He was the go-to guy for both quarterbacks on, on third downs and he wasn't there for most of the year. And that cost Texas significantly when they had that big run of bad third down performances. And so tech that is going to help them again. There's going to be, this isn't a complete team. and It's not a complete view of what we're going to see. There's only one offensive lineman that early enrolled. So Andre Carrick's injury is what forced Texas to uh, go to this weird format. They may have done it anyways, because you just can't really rotate enough offensive linemen when you're not that deep. There are only like 10 offensive linemen on the spring roster. So like one of them gets you to a point where you can't rotate. So they've got six more guys yeah. coming and shocker. The only one of Kyle Flood's early enrollees was pushing for some playing time. Surprise, surprise. We're not surprised by that at all. Again, there are guys that are going to come in. Uh, Brendan Thompson, for, we were talking about mm-hmm. wide receivers. Mm-hmm. If he comes in even remotely able to run a route, you throw that guy on the field and say, hey, you see that goalpost? Just run, mm-hmm. and I'll throw the ball underneath you, right? Like, that's that's what you do. And so the plan for 2022 may just be to outscore people. Mm. I still have questions about the defense and sure. defensive line. Sure. I'm very – but we saw guys like Justice Finkley come in, Byron Murphy come in. They played really well. Alfred Collins looked good. Snack Coburn looked like Snacks Coburn. Overshone is limited, but – Potentially, Texas will, will have um, additional edge rushers. We'll talk to Mike Roach next week about it. I'll probably have some news about it next week, actually. Um, O'Shawn Mathis making a decision on the 30th. So uh, four days from where you're listening to this, we'll have some information about it. So there's a lot still left to be said for Texas uh, when it comes to the fall. Yeah, and, and look, there, there were a couple things on the defensive side that I did I did like. You know, I thought um, Watts came in and looked huge. Both he and Nayor, the two kind of big transfer portal uh gets and, and billingsley to some extent as well obviously um but but those two guys looked just bigger than i expected i'd seen pictures and i'd seen them but they just looked big <laughs> yeah. i mean they, they looked like big for their their position and, and and they played you know well at their size so i think i, I was impressed with that i i you're gonna get beat by xavier worthy because he's a really good route runner when you're one-on-one it's tough but i hated how much like space and maybe some of the alignment that, that Jamison was doing because all we've heard all spring is that Jamison's been a ball hawk and I you know I want him to get that other cornerback position but you know there's also been a lot of talk about Jade Barron so there'll be an interesting group there um you know we, we replaced a lot of safeties right like it wasn't just the two starters Adam Mora uh Tyler Owens I mean 
the safety room looks pretty net new. They move people with, with uh, Cook and Crawford changing positions to, to be our kind of presumptive number ones back there. So, you know, interesting mix. It's the spring. There will be a lot of changes between here and now, but th- that that's interesting. Um, you know, our linebacker fills are still going to be interesting. I, I, I really like Jalen Ford, you know, in there, I hope. He can Love Jalen Ford. He, I hope he can just build on what he did last year and really solidify that linebacker present inside, free up, uh, overshown to do his kind of havoc that he does. Um, but yeah, yeah, there were questions. Um, again, it's <laughs> it's hard to score, right? But I thought you're, you mentioned a couple of them, uh, Vaughn and and, uh, and Sorrell and some of these guys. You know, these young guys looked look good, and I am excited to see where they get to by fall. Um, but again, I, I want to see him do it against somebody else. I want to see him do it against a, a first team offensive line and a good first you know first team offensive line. There's some good lines in in, in the Big Twelve. You don't get Baylor into the last week of the game uh, of the season, but you know, like what what are you going to be able to do against? A Baylor team that always seems to just have a stout offensive line and wants to run the ball. You know, Iowa State, they're going to want to run the ball. Oklahoma State, you're going to have teams in this conference that really want to run. And look, I loved Roshan. I love Roshan Johnson. I, I think he proved to a lot of people who may have forgotten, I guess, somehow, uh, that mm-hmm. if, if Bijan wasn't here, we would be hyping the heck out of Roshan Johnson because I think he's like a top 20 running back in the country as that level of talent. Um, you know, it, it, it's it's a great luxury to have um, Bijan and him. But, uh, you know, I, I, I anytime he gets a big play, it's like, oh, what happened with the defense for that to happen? Or maybe it's the offensive line. They looked okay run blocking, and that, that was their – strength last year so I, I don't know it, you're right Gerald it's hard to come up to conclusions there's so many things that every statement has two sides that, that basically counteract each other so every advantage you talk about is, is, a, is a comparative disadvantage as well so I, I don't know um, and again a lot of people out Bijan Carrick I think Benda was out in the linebacker room so you saw Jet Bush playing in the middle a little which was interesting uh, Overshone Whittington where they all got shut down early you know half the recruits will recruiting class will be there maybe one to two more likely in the portal still to come um interesting interesting days uh ahead but you know at least we got to see something we've all been salivating uh because the taste of five and seven we'd love to get it out of our mouth so at least we have something positive as our most recent uh, memory yeah and there were a couple of the folks that liked it as well texas got not one but two commitments in the 2023 class had not yet had an offensive player commit it seems like everybody's waiting on what happens with that quarterback from Louisiana. But four-star 2023 wide receiver Ryan Niblett and four-star running back Trey Wisner both committed to Texas. Um, not out of the blue, but a little bit unexpectedly. Niblett um, was actually left Texas, I think, out of his top five, mm-hmm. and then Brendan Marion got involved, which is nice. And then Trey Wisner, uh, the OU boards were a little bit on fire because they were uh, – the OU boards guaranteed basically that Wisner was a uh, lock to OU and then, uh, well, a little Tashar Choice got sprinkled. And so I think it's safe to say at this point that uh, Brennan Marion and Tashar Choice mm-hmm. uh, were solid recruiting. Uh, we can't call it Choice an upgrade over uh, what was there before, but Brennan Marion for sure yeah. is an upgrade over what was there before from a recruiting standpoint. And you love to see it because Stan Drayton, you know, was a name. Congrats to him for getting that head coach job, but you said, oh, man, what's going to happen in the running back room? And I think, if nothing else, you saw that at least Tashard Choice is going to come in. He'll do things differently, but he's going to come in and keep you know keep that room full of talent. Um, I, I think uh, it's always nice for him, a player who was at OU and then went and made his name elsewhere at Georgia Tech, to, to take one from OU. I'm sure that feels nice. Um, but I, I'll love that recruiting for, for years to come. But, but yeah, I agree with you that these are, these are the two biggest splash hires for Texas and, and our two biggest kind of offensive recruits to future playmakers. Uh, I think Niblet is, is a guy who fits the mold. Like we've talked about many times, Gerald always brings uh, the Ferraris uh, into the equation when yeah. we, when we talk about these guys and, and Sarkeesian's quote about, you want, you know, never have enough Ferraris in the garage. Uh, this is a guy who as a sophomore ran a 10, five, eight, and oh, he's improved on that. He's now a 10, four, seven uh, in the hundred. Maybe he'll be a 10, three by the time he's a senior, just lightning, <laughs> lightning fast uh, player. And that's what, we want like speed kills and in a Sark offense where they want to stretch you to the gills, like get seven different guys who are, you know, running sub 10, five hundreds, just absolute track stars out there. And then, you know, get running backs who can 
make you pay on the inside. Wisner actually has, I watched some of his tape, has has a really nice kind of final uh, level gear in his in his uh, toolkit as well, where he can uh, he can separate from some people on some big runs. So uh, two incredible offensive weapons that you know we'll, we'll be talking about in a few years time. Yeah, this these are likely not the last uh, re- commitments at their positions. Texas uh, is in strong position for a lot of the top receivers in the state, and then obviously Texas is hard after the once committed Ruben Owens, the number one running back in the country. Uh, this is going to be a two back class. I think Texas wanted a two back class last year and didn't get a two back class because curse you, Nick Saban. Uh, but Texas has the ability to uh, potentially add two running backs and probably three ish, three or four wide receivers in this class. We'll, we'll have Mike Roach on uh, in the newer future to to help us break that down but uh texas officially heads into the summer and we are kyle just four and a half months away from football so it wasn't just the uh football team hitting stuff over the weekend baseball did a lot of hitting they split the midweek series uh with the air force falcons thanks to a trey faltini uh two run walk off home run uh it made me feel a little iffy, a little icky going into the weekend. Uh, and then they did everything that they could to dissuade me by outscoring the Baylor Bears 46 to 9 on the weekend in a game that was full of home runs. You know, it's nice to be in your home field. It's nice to have a little uh, wind blowing out to the outfield. Very helpful. Baylor's pitching staff took a major injury hit. So, like, it felt like as the stars were out of alignment for a lot of the year so far, the stars fell in place for Texas this weekend, and they put a bunch of baseballs over the wall. So, Gerald, the the, the Air Force thing, if, if nothing else, you've heard of rally cap brought us the, the rally helmet, right? Uh, there's the newest tradition on the 40 acres. It, it kind of was a, was a joke originally for Coach Sean Allen, who had an, an Air Force player uh, drop a bomb on his face with a foul ball that he didn't have time to get out of the way for. Actually had to be treated. Said he's okay, so we can joke about it. But they, they gave him a football helmet to protect him for the next game. And then another dinged up baseball player, Tanner Witt, uh, had been deciding that, uh, you know, couldn't just sit there. So after... The five home runs in the first game, uh, he, he started handing it to the home run player. Uh, he first, I think Melendez was the first one to get it, um, or maybe Feltin. Anyways, but uh, yeah, so that is now the newest tradition for, for UT. It involves uh, an injured coach, an injured player, uh, an injured team, Texas football, uh, and uh, and a new tradition where you, you get the helmet after a home run, you run through the dog pile, get slapped on it, and you, know, you, you fake the handoff, maybe hit the Heisman. Uh, but what did it yield? 14 home runs over the weekend series. So if that's what it took, and, and that's the uh, the new standard for Texas as we hit you know, at least a dozen every weekend and you get to wear the helmet uh, because of it, then I'm 100% for it. Kyle, I had to look this up three times after we put it in the show notes. 20 to 1 on uh, Friday. Just poured it on for David Pierce's 200th win. Texas hit five home runs, lifted Pete Hansen to a 7-1 and record on the year. Saturday, 13-4. and Texas had four two-run home runs. So if you're doing the math at home, that's eight runs on four swings of the bat. And on Sunday, that was a 13-4 to outing. Texas hit five home runs, uh, which again, if you're doing the math at home, that's five runs. It's just... It was a great weekend for Texas to, to shake a little bit of the rust off, shake a little bit of the dust off. Uh, and hopefully this is like what can propel them into the end of the season and kind of accelerate them toward a potentially, hopefully strong postseason outing. Because it's a little sh- it was a little shaky and it still is rather shaky um, this Series would help Texas jump from middle of the pack to third in the conference with some uh, striking distance ahead of them, especially with, well, the two series they still, uh, two of the series they still have left on the schedule should be helpful for that. Yeah, Gerald, uh, you want to know what I liked about this, about this weekend more than scoring 46 runs and, and having 48 hits uh, and just burying Baylor's nose in the dirt, which is always fun? The bullpen. The thing that we have been lamenting, we have been uh, lambasting, we have been chastising and chafing over, the bullpen was phenomenal. Uh, I I, I don't think... So the bullpen did not give up uh, a run in these three games. They did not uh, give up a hit in uh, two of the three games. And in the one game that they did give up a hit, they they gave up two. So they gave up two hits... 
the entire weekend. They, the first game, they went four innings because they were up so big. They pulled Pete after five uh, and only 73 pitches, which is great. Save that arm. They went four full innings. A couple different guys got in there, only gave up two hits, zero walks. The second game, they threw two and a half. Uh, or 2.1, I guess, two and a third. Uh, hitless innings, only had one walk. And then the third, it was just Nixon. It was a get right uh, for Nixon. He went two and a third as well. Scoreless innings, he was really efficient. I think he was at like seven uh, pitches for five outs at one point, um, but uh, had four strikeouts in there. So pitch count got up a little higher and then also three walks that came later. So there was a little bit of a mixed bag there for him, but still, you know, didn't allow a run across. So it closed it out. It wasn't a safe situation, but closed out the game uh, over two innings. I mean, he's, he's getting back. His stuff is so good. You have to get him right for the postseason. But, you know, all three of the starters got wins. They gave up some runs. But, uh, I mean, right now you're you're in, like, the the Mark McGuire, Sammy Sosa era of home runs in college baseball. <laughs> Obviously, Texas is doing it. But other teams are doing it all around the country. I mean, ERA is, is, is not what it's been in years past. Just across the – certainly the Big 12, across the, the country, certainly with Texas. Uh, the wind has been a factor in, in our ballpark where a lot more home runs are given up as well as – uh, hit by Texas. Uh, so it's been interesting and it, it's going to be harder to have those, you know, guys with one point something ERA. Um, but, you know, I think all the starters battled, even if they gave up home runs or, or hits, they, they battled back. I thought Tristan Stevens, this was his best Big 12 start by a lot. He was 0-3 with an ERA over 11 through his first four Big 12 starts. So he got a Big 12 win, a Saturday Big 12 win finally. Uh, it was nice and it made it where we had to salvage those Sunday uh, wins. You know, it, it made it a little nicer where we thought Saturday would be our stability, but it was also in an untristed Stevens way through 96 innings or 96 pitches over six and two thirds innings. He got seven K's. So he threw a lot more pitches, um, gave up, you know, basically two home runs to Baylor's all American Jared McKenzie. So, you know, it's okay, but battled through that and, and got his win. And hopefully that will lead to some momentum, to some confidence, to him feeling good about his stuff again, striking guys out means he's, he's locating well. Cause that's how he beats people is painting and, and, and kind of catching you off. So I thought the pitching was great. The hitting it obviously will get all of the, the, and, and deserve it plaudits, but I, I think the pitching should get a little appreciation as well. Absolutely. And, and we have rightfully lambasted the pitching and specifically the bullpen over the last several weeks because, well, they've been the problem. And so we have to take a moment and pause and say the bullpen and the pitching got its stuff done this weekend. And again, Baylor is, you know, they're OK. They're four and 11 in conference or 20 and 20. But shutting people down like that is not I mean, it's college baseball regardless. Like it is college baseball regardless of who you're playing. So I mean your starter's giving up eighteen hits in, in three games, that'll win you basically anything. You don't have to score twenty runs, thirteen runs, thirteen runs in a game. If your starters are giving up that those low of numbers over most most outings, that's gonna win you a lot of baseball games. And that'll be again with a team that has the offensive firepower that Texas does, with guys like we talk you talked about Ivan Melendez, who is putting up astronomical, stupid numbers right now. You've got guys like Trey Faltini, who's absolutely doing things. Murphy Staley, who's absolutely just blasting things. Uh, like when you've got those guys in your lineup, the pitching doesn't need to be stellar. It just needs to be good. And I feel like it finally was good and consistently good for three games. And good with different arms, right? And I think that's the thing. It, it, the way that Texas offense, you just named some guys. You didn't even name Silas Ardwin, who's been incredible in the five spot. The way that Messenger, yep. the way that Texas hitting has been spread across, who obviously Melendez is, and, and Staley are doing a lot of heavy lifting, but a lot of guys have come up big. Hodo's been great, uh, especially he's had games where he's just been unreal. So I, I think um, seeing that in the pitching staff where you have 10 different guys throw in a weekend and they all look good is 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 – a relief because you're right. All all the pitching staff does is have to be good if you're hitting like that. But what if the pitching staff could be great, uh, like we thought they could? You know, if they can if they can up their game even just a little bit uh, and keep hitting like that, then I feel really great. We'll get a big uh, test next weekend. But uh, I did want to give a quick shout out. Right, we talked about a couple of them and just give a, a a quick stat rundown of where we are. Dingers, right? We're currently fifth in the nation in home runs. The team is three away from the all time record for a University of Texas team with 78. The record is 81. They have 13 regular season games. Also, postseason games count. Uh, Melendez has 21 now. He's seven shy of Kyle Russell's single season record. 
But Melendez has done it in 40 games. Russell hit 28 in 63 games. So if you give Melendez 23 more games, I have a pretty good feeling he's going to get at least another, uh, let's call it 7, 8, 20. I don't know. Um, <laughs> at the rate he's on, but he passed Jeff. I wouldn't doubt it. It's it's. I mean, he's so locked in right now. It's crazy. He passed Jeff Ontiveros for third all time. He's three shy of Cody Clemens. What he did, that crazy run in 2018 that, again, included the postseason. So um, if Texas can, can get things going right and get a deep postseason run, he could sell a record that might be tough to ever top and and it, and it isn't just melendez that's the thing right it, it isn't just him texas is currently third overall in team batting average top 20 in walks drawn um second in the nation in fielding percentage the the team era is still 26 that's not bad i mean they are um that that's been what we've talked about our weakness and most teams in the country would kill for 26 texas is is absolutely on a tear from the plate and i think texas is Texas has an opportunity to, again, we talked about it, and maybe we don't jinx it, knock on wood. Uh, it could be moving weekend for Texas this weekend. Uh, they trail Oklahoma State by a game in the conference standings. They trail uh, TCU by three games. And Oklahoma State and Texas happen to play this weekend. Texas has a little midweek stand against Rio Grande Valley. Then they get to host Oklahoma State this weekend, which feels. So hopefully Texas can get a little help there to get them up in the standings. And Gerald, I just wanted to hit two quick notes before we left. Congrats to Coach Pierce. The first win, the Friday win, was his 200th at Texas. That one they scored 20 runs in. That's the first time since 2010 they've hit 20 in the runs column. Uh, And then also just, you know, again, we we talked about him. Melendez has been so good, but he's hitting over 400 now. 21 homers, 61 RBIs. He leads the country in home runs. Slugging percentage, OPS. He's fourth in RBIs, seventh in on-base percentage, top 20 in walks. Has not been intentionally walked this year, though, which is crazy. And that's because Murphy Staley, the other Golden Spikes likely finalist, is batting 408, even better, with 12 home runs, fifth in the country right now in total bases. And they went back-to-back this weekend for the third time this season. I mean, that hard of the order. And then you throw Ardwin, how good he's been. At f- that 3-4-5 is as good as I've ever seen it at Texas. And just, you know. It is it is fun. Enjoy it. You don't get teams that are you know can do the things that they can do all that often, especially at Texas and especially at the Dish. Texas this weekend will take on Oklahoma State. Before that, they've got UT Rio Grande Valley. If Texas can win two of three against the Cowboys, they should overtake them in the standings. If they win all three, they will obviously put themselves in great position to hopefully get some help and overtake TCU uh, for the top seed in the conference postseason tournament. So now's the part of the show where 40 minutes in, we whip around the rest of campus and we down the 40. Number 13 women's golf brings home some hardware, wins the Big 12 tournament by three strokes. They Beat number six, Oklahoma State, number 15, Baylor, and number 21, Texas Tech for the title. Got a nice little water shower on the closing green. But Texas, they've been on a little bit of a surge as of late. And so seeing them kind of play strong against the Big 12, we talk about it all the time in in every sport, really. But the Big 12 is a really tough golf conference. I mean, you've got four ranked teams in the conference, three of them in the top 15. So like, it is a very, very good conference. So this win is huge and hopefully can propel Texas uh, to some success and some momentum in the uh, NCAA tournament. Yeah, and they did it with uh, one freshman, one senior really leading the way, Bo Park. The freshman finished third. Sarah Kuskova came in sixth, the senior. So victory lap for one and the start of a career for the other. They both earned all tournament team honors, both finishing the top 10. Bentley Cotton finished just out at, at 11th. But they'll find out their exact draw on Wednesday. Both the men and women will find out their regionals draw uh, in those regionals, uh, NCAA regionals. will start May 9th just a week off and then they'll be back at it. Number four, women's tennis on the same day brought home some big 12 hardware as well. They swept Iowa state beat Oklahoma state and then upset number two. OU to come away with that tournament, raising a trophy and setting themselves up well heading into the NCAA tournament. Yeah. I mean the, the, the three teams that you really needed to watch this year, North Carolina, been really good they won the indoor national um ou has been the hottest team in the country their only loss this year was to north carolina in that indoor national and texas in texas has been surging anytime they didn't have to play ou ou has had their number um so again though the softball win was bigger for sure uh beating this ou team was was 
no way a foregone conclusion. In fact, it, it even though Texas is number four, it was rightly an upset. It was a really, really good team that they handed their only loss, again, outside of a, a championship final uh, earlier this year. UT got their 14th victory over a ranked opponent. Peyton Stearns just is... is I don't even know how to describe how good she has been. She was named the MOP, and she won three at number one singles in six sets. Her six sets went 6-4, Those are shutouts at number one singles. Multiple of them were against top 20 players in the nation. Uh, Lane Sleeth, who's been OU's kind of secret weapon, uh, a top 10 player in her own right, got shut out 6-0, by Peyton Stearns. I mean, just if there's one tennis player in the country, men's or women's, you don't want to be faced up against right now heading into the tournament it's got to be Peyton Stern she's the hottest player again it doesn't matter men's or women's in the country right now man is she is she good and and the rest of the team is following suit not a lot of love but a lot of love there she absolutely blasted him uh she is now 23 and 1 on the season in singles so Texas takes that hot streak 13 in the last 14 11 of those coming against ranked opponents into the NCAA championship starting on May the 6th the selection show will be uh, while we're recording basically next Monday May the 2nd we'll obviously keep you up to date on that number 12 men's tennis falls to number four Baylor in the semifinals four to two they swept Oklahoma State like we thought they would Uh, Texas had several Matches come down to tiebreakers, including the deciding point, uh, and then three other singles tiebreakers that all happen to go Baylor's way. Uh, everybody bumped up one as, as Micah Braswell is currently out with injury, which obviously hurts Texas uh, when they're going uh, when they're going into the tournaments. So hopefully, uh, Braswell is feeling up for it and better when the NCAA championship rolls around uh, in a couple weeks. That's right. Braswell had been playing number one three-fourths of the year had been been holding down that number one single spot. Uh, basically, when Spaziri got hurt in the beginning of the year, he took it on. So uh, here's hoping they can both be number one. One will be one and one will be two, but they can both be healthy and both be carrying the team. I mean, that Baylor team was good. They went on to upset number one TCU on their home court to take their third straight Big 12 title. So kudos to them. Um, but, you know, you, you like to think uh, fully healthy, they, they might have a better shot. So here's hoping Braswell is good to go for the tournament, which will be coming up May the 6th. Speaking of sweeps in Oklahoma State, number 16 softball was swept by number six Oklahoma State. We've said it before. We'll say it again. The Big 12 is basically OU, a really big gap. Oklahoma State, a big but not as big gap. And then probably Texas in that third spot. Friday went nine innings, three to two. A tough outing on Sunday, a doubleheader, because Saturday didn't actually happen. Um, Former friend of the show, Miranda Elish, (laughs) shut out Texas uh, in that one to improve to 13 and four on the year. And then Sunday, uh, Texas... Tied the game, but then gave it up in the bottom half of that same inning on an unearned run. So not a great weekend for the ladies, but um, I mean, not a little stakeout, not a great weekend for the ladies. It sucks getting swept by Oklahoma State, especially uh, as they close out the regular season and fight for seeding in the conference tournament. Yeah, it was a good day for Janae Jefferson. She set the all-time hits record uh, for the Big 12, getting her 333rd career hit on an absolutely perfectly executed bunt single. But yeah, all these games were close. I mean, honestly, this this looked like a, a tournament series. This looked like two teams that are two of the five best teams in the country battling it out. If Miranda English was on the other team in the better shade of orange, I wonder uh, if this would have gone a different way. Not only did she shut Texas out, she also hit only her second home run, thanks for that, of the year, a two-run bomb uh, to basically be the difference in in her game. And then again, like you said, they they had a really good shot in the second one, um, the, the third game of the weekend, but but dropped that one. Even even the, the Friday game, uh, you know, it turned into a pitcher's duel late. They, they went up, I think it was in the second inning, they each scored, or by the third inning, it was three to two, and then it just basically held on to that with a pitcher's duel both pitchers uh kelly maxwell who's you know gonna be in the running for big 12 and national pitcher of the year um improved to 15-1 Haley dulcini you know battled right there with her i mean just just three really good games of softball it just stinks that in none of those three was the outcome what texas was looking for it's unfortunate but up next texas has no midweek series this week before they take the long trek to lubbock to take on texas tech and hopefully that one turns out better for them number one rowing the most dominant team 
on campus. Sweeps number four, Princeton, and number 16, Rutgers. Just put them in a body bag. Um, a lot of big splits in this one. Absolutely dominant on the water. Yeah, the, the, winning the first eight by four seconds is a lot. Winning the second eight by 14 seconds, like that just shows the, the talent level that Texas has in their second eight compared to other really good teams. Uh, they won the first four by three and the second four by 12 seconds. So just a lot of talent there. And, you know, we, we joked about this when uh, we saw they were going to New Jersey uh, to, to, to play Princeton and, and Rutgers. And, and you know, you said, yeah, I don't know if they can go into – you know, the home waters up there and, and get a double. And uh, the, the Texas rowing team basically said, Gerald, forget about it. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> I was hoping for a Sopranos reference from you, Kyle. That's really what I was what I was hoping for. I was I was cycling through my mind. You know, I had a Gabagool in there, uh, but I, I didn't know really how to land it. I think the uh, I think it's called it in, in rowing. If you uh, if your oar gets caught uh, as you're going through and you have to reset your oar called catching a crab. But I don't know that there's a Sopranos. Uh, I'd like to imagine Polly Walnut saying, you know, uh, catching a crab, but I don't have that in the bag. I really don't. I'm not mad at you. I'm just disappointed. Soccer. <laughs> Something we're not disappointed in. Finishes the spring season with a perfect 8-0 record after shutting out UTSA and St. Edwards by a cumulative 14-0. Had two different players record braces in that Jill Shinkin and Lexi Missimo. Texas outscored opponents 24-2 in the spring season, only giving up two goals to that professional team they played in the first week of the spring season. Yeah, Missima was was fantastic. Um, came back from representing the U.S. women's team to score six goals. Freshman transfer Jaylee Shimkin also representing that U.S. team came and scored five times. I loved in the UTSA game, for instance, they had eight goals, which is incredible. Seven different scores. It shows there's a lot of depth, a lot of talent on this team. Makes you excited. That should be another uh, top ten Texas maybe next year. Hopefully they can uh, they can get through it again. A tough. Big 12 and soccer as well. So a lot of lot of talent that's young on that team. So it should be good for a couple years to come. Absolutely. Speaking of young talent, not necessarily young talent. I don't know what a, a transition I'm going for. But number six, men's golf. After round one of the Big 12 championship are uh, currently sitting out a rain delay, but Minus two, two under on the day through four holes. There was a uh, cancellation today. So they'll resume uh, tomorrow early and then have to pick up again uh, just a few hours later. That's right. And I just wanted to throw it out there for everyone. The last two outings with one cootie, they had a third place finish and a runner up. Their last two outings, uh, excuse me, last three outings with two cooties. Three wins. They won the Big 12 match play with both Cootie brothers, and then they've won their last two tournaments uh, since Pearson has come back. So two Cooties, tough to beat, like a pair of Tarotis. You know how you know how it goes. But uh, a lot of top ten. You, you talk about top ten uh, tough stuff. Texas uh, obviously being six. Oklahoma one. Oklahoma State three. Texas Tech nine. Texas Tech was actually the one who was leading after four holes. Uh, after not enough to, to really judge. But this is going to be tough. It's tough sledding. A lot of really, really talented golfers. That OU golf team, men's golf team, is also chock full of talent. So a uh, lot of golf to be played before this one's decided. Absolutely. And hopefully Texas can uh, just pull a clean sweep of the golf trophies. That would feel really really good but now's a part of the show where we honor one of the best traditions at all of college athletics big bertha and we bang the drum brought to you by joe ruiz so kyle what are you banging the drum on this week gerald uh, you know it's interesting as we we watch now we have a whole new uh it's great for podcasters you know uh, news cycle of of the transfer portal it seems there's always someone going in someone coming out someone landing that texas didn't get someone that texas did get uh we'll talk about some of those across various sports in the coming days and weeks but spring games have basically effectively run their course most teams have had theirs there's a few still outstanding but as steve sarkeesian said uh, there's going to be exit interviews basically for everyone coming up he's going to go through each player and, and let them know where they stand which you know is what any good boss would do for his his company for his employees um is be forthright, be transparent, and let them do what they will with that information. The, the common belief is that there will be some players who aren't on the Texas team who were on the spring game. There will be some who aren't uh, on the team today who will be by fall. So the don't think Texas is done in the portal, uh, either coming or going, but that deadline is coming soon. We were recording this on the 25th. Uh, the, the portal deadline to play football in 
the 2022 season is May 1st. So as these conversations happen, it doesn't mean that player has to make their decision on where they go, but they have to enter their name into the portal by May 1st. So we will see some Texas players go. And again, we will probably see some players from other teams who will be, we'll see what the buffet options are uh, for the coaches across the UT football team. Um, But I read an interesting article. The, The NCAA released some data on the transfer portal, basically from August 19 to July 2021. So last year, um, an interesting time is that was the true Wild West. We're still in it, but that was the really initial run of the portal when people were figuring out how to do it, when to do it, why you do it, and and why you don't. You know, some people go in and, and choose to come back. But an interesting data point that I hope every recruit has seen across every sport, not just football, of the players who entered, and, and there have been hundreds, likely, there's been thousands, there have been thousands, I know that for sure, thousands of players who have entered uh, across all the sports, but in football specifically, um, or excuse me, across all sports uh, specifically, 54% of the players who have entered the portal enrolled at a new school. What that means is that 46% did not. Now, some of those took their name out and they went back to school. They Maybe a booster cut them a check. Maybe they had a heart-to-heart with their parents. Maybe they had a conversation with their coach. But there's also a lot of players, and, and Texas has some from their football team from last season, who have not found a home, who have not found a landing spot. The idea of the portal seems so grand. All right, it just didn't work for me here. Put my name in this thing. Someone's going to come knock down my door, probably with a, a bag of cash, and tell me you're home, you've made it, come play for me. But for a lot of these players, if you aren't the most elite at your position, at your area, they're just not finding homes. And even I'm sure looking lower, you know, you start to lower those standards a little. Maybe I'll go to a smaller school. Maybe I will drop down level, whatever it is. Uh, There just needs to probably be some hard conversations before that decision is made. Some, Some soul searching about what your expectations are because there is no guarantee. And even though we're in the wild, wild west and we're still figuring out what the portal is and isn't, uh, it is not a fix-all. It is not an instant cure. And so I hope that these players, because we always wish players well when they leave Texas, we wish them success. But we we hope that no one is left hanging in the wind, thinking that they were making a decision for their future and ending up hurting their, their future. So just just wanted to put that out there for everyone, put it into the ethos and into the universe. I hope everyone is making good decisions. And I really honestly hope it works out for, for every one of these players. The transfer portal cuts both ways. And I think part of it is... I love giving players the option because I think this has been missing. That that's that's a thing that was missing from college college football, college sports in general is the ability to make that decision for your career and not waste a year of your career because athletes only have a limited shelf life and they're shorter for everybody. And so giving them that option, I think the other side of this is there are a lot of guys that don't have people giving them good advice and they don't have guys that are are they don't have people that are giving them good advice or good wisdom and helping them make good decisions. So there are some people that I think if they had better advisors in their corner or had advisors in their corner, period, would probably tell them to make a different decision. And so that that sword cuts both ways, unfortunately. And so, uh, But for the 54% that have landed somewhere else, it's very clearly a net positive for them. For those that entered it and dipped their toe around and saw what was out there and pulled their name out, I think it's also a net positive for them. And again, it sucks for the guys that didn't have the landing spot that they thought they would or the market that they would. And so, you know, we hope that they can land on their feet, but that's kind of part of the game as it stands nowadays. But I'm banging the drum this week on uh, horns with heart. So Texas has caught a lot of flack from folks in the NIL arena for the horns with heart thing. And if you don't know what horns with heart is, it's basically a blanket. Um, it's a non not for profit. That's going to leverage NIL in the name image and likeness of longhorn players and athletes, uh, to help bolster local Austin and in Texas based, um, charity options. And so Horns with Heart actually announced their first partnership Monday with Derek Johnson, Longhorn legend, Derek Johnson on my Texas football, Mount Rushmore, Derek Johnson. Part of the reason I went to the university of Texas, Derek Johnson, his defend the dream foundation. If you don't know what defend the dream foundation is, uh, he has for a long time been working and donating money and space and books and uh, equipment to schools to help refurbish and refurnish their libraries. And there's a longer conversation to have about whether or not private citizens should have to do that. But 
one, it's incredible to see Derek Johnson reinvesting that money into Austin. He's doing uh, schools in Austin now that he's retired. He's moved back to Austin, and he'll be doing that. Um, but it's it's there was a lot of talk about how Horns with Heart and the Pancake Factory was just going to be a blanket uh, tax shelter for people to donate money to to get a tax write-off and funnel some money to players. And shocker, like we said, it wasn't going to be, and it isn't. So players are going to actually be part of this. They're going to be part of the fundraising. They're going to be reading ambassadors at the schools. They're going to be there doing like the publicity put together of all the equipment and the books and all that. And so like NIL is a slippery slope and I will acknowledge that. And there's the $8 million quarterback floating out there. And there's uh, a player had his NIL sponsor announce his transfer location this last week. And that's weird. And like the the NCAA needs to step in or somebody needs to step in and regulate this, but it's not going to happen. And it, it that's fine because we live in a capitalist society. And so that's what we're going to do. But this is the kind of stuff that NIL should be. And, and is for is, Players in the past have wanted to use their name, image, and likeness to raise funds for worthy causes, and they haven't been able to. And so now, partnering with Derek Johnson, players are going to be able to help raise money and donate money and donate time to local Austin schools to do one of the most foundational things for our country, our future, and our democracy, help kids read. No, I, I love it. You're exactly right. It, it, NIL gets such a such a bad rap for the the worst of it, but this is the best of it, and you love to see it. And this is this is cool. This is the the outside the line stories that make you feel good. I'm glad to see uh, the heart part coming through as much as the horns and and doing something for the the Austin community. And you know, Derek Johnson, that guy just wins at everything, life included. So uh, fantastic. Thanks for that, Gerald. That's the and in the podcast making me feel good. But that's all I've got for you this week, Kyle. Where could good folks find you on the internet? Oh, you can follow me on Twitter at Kyle Carbon. You can also follow the Texas Pregamer at Texas Pregamer. You can follow me on Twitter. I am at GH Goodridge. Follow the show on Twitter at Longhorn Pod. Facebook and Instagram, the Longhorn Republic. Or shoot us an email, LonghornRepublicPod at gmail.com. We'll be back Thursday. We're going to talk a little bit uh, uh, wrestling. We'll talk about <laughs> Texas players that would have made or could have been profitable marketable wrestlers we'll obviously have some bol and all that fun stuff but we'll see you on thursday until next time hook up hook up texas undefeated in